0: So I'm here with Rabbi Dr. Aaron Leap-Smokler, who is the Director of Spiritual Development and Dean of Students at, at Yeshivat Maharaj Rabbinical School, where she teaches Chassidut and Pastoral Torah. She earned her Ph.D. and M.A. from the University of Chicago's Committee on Social Thought and her B.A. from Harvard University. She's a Senior Rabbinic Fellow of the Shalom Hartman Institute, and she's currently at, at work on two books, Torah from the Plague and Torah of the Night. Thank you so much for taking time to talk.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So we are in a um, a, a strange, uh, I want to say unprecedented, but I don't know enough history to say that, a strange moment. And I wonder, how is is Torah speaking to you uniquely at this moment?
1: Okay, Um, it's hard. It's certainly very hard. And I have found this to definitely be an experience of theological rupture, Um, which in a certain sense is surprising. Let me say why. Um, I've spent a great deal of my own um, kind of spiritual and intellectual energies um, particularly thinking about theology and suffering, theology and the Holocaust in particular. Um, I wrote my PhD on the Piazzatina Rebbe, the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, And so in certain ways, I've inhabited a space of of uncertainty and pain and the theological ramifications thereof um, you know, in the abstract for quite some time. Um, And so of course, nothing is the same when you encounter it um, in vivo, as we say, um, and it, it reminds me a little bit of um, a passage from Brachot, um, where uh, the, the concept of or the chastisement or afflictions of love is discussed, I think it's 5a, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, the rabbis talk all about um, their theories of why suffering happens in the world. Um, and that perhaps God loves us so much that God punishes us. Um, and there are all kinds of uh, interesting, again, theoretical approaches to why it is that people suffer in the world. And it's just on the very next page on 5b, if I'm not mistaken, that several rabbis themselves suffer. Um, and their students come and say, um, are, are your are your sufferings beloved to you? You, oh rabbis, who theorized about suffering only moments ago, at least literally speaking on the page, um, you know, and these same rabbis say lo him below I'm like, no, thank you, not this and not their rewards, whatever it is that I imagined might be worth it, or theologically somehow uh, compelling no longer feels that way on a sick bed. Um, and so I think that that gap between the theoretical discussions on one page, and it's almost like on the next page, the door to the Beit Midrash or the house of studies closed, you enter into the world and you realize that these theologies don't really, um, don't really hold up um, and so on the one hand I will just say that I um, I take some uh, support from a tradition that ha- that tells such stories about itself that realizes that there are gaps between um, you know the theories we have about things and the experiences that we have about them that realizes that um, you know even even rabbis even our spiritual leaders who might think that they have answers really don't when they themselves are in that place of of challenge um, and owning that and reckoning with that to me is itself a place of of uh, pride, if not some kind of healing. So there's so there's that, um, and I'll also say on a related note that I referenced before the Piazzasner Rabbi, the Rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto, who's um, a kind of Rabbi figure for me, and one of the one of the teachings that I take from him is the kind of plasticity of theology the ways that what one thinks one day need not hold up the next day, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're any less true, any less powerful, any less uh, healing. So for for him, and here I'm not saying that COVID and the Holocaust are the same thing, they're not, um, but you know what he said in 1939 was different from what he said in 1942, and his relationship to God really evolved and changed from week to week, um, and certainly over, from year to year. So while that doesn't answer the question of who is God and what is God, the permission to evolve, the permission to protest, the permission to feel pain, the permission to feel confusion, the permission to sit in that place of not knowing um, is, is for me very much what Torah opens for me at this moment.
0: Wow, very powerful, very powerful. So moving from the realm of questions and answers, the realm of truth, to the realm of experience and connection. There are those, of course, who believe we connect to the divine most deeply through joy. It's through the channel of Simcha where we can truly access uh, God most closely. But there are also those who uh, understand that connection experience most happens through sorrow, through grief, through fear, through anxiety. And I wonder if you can um, kind of relate how you understand this type of religious experience. I mean, the Piyaz Rebbe, of course, you know, this notion of atzvut or of shvirat alev. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, how how might we use these moments, these emotional moments as channels for connection?
1: Uh, yeah, it's very much in the spirit of, of the Piyaz and Rebbe Nachman, who I think you're referencing, and others to see, points of pain as access points to to the divine, which isn't, which I hope is not to be understood as a um, veneration of of pain or, um, you know, any kind of joy specifically in harm or self-harm, God forbid, God forbid. That is by no means the theological vantage point or the psychological emotional vantage point of these particular kinds of theologies. Um, but I do think that there's a kind of way in which one can be broken open, broken open to awareness, broken open to surprise and mystery, um, and a way in which experiences of the kind that we're going through, and here I mean both the you know physical illness as well as the just the churn of the world, the feeling that things are just unraveling and developing in so many ways, culturally, socially, racially um environmentally like there's so many dimensions to the to the current moment um that i think one need not talk about it in terms of relating to god in pain but relating to god in these moments that feel like they are ruptures ruptures that really um they really highlight what is unknown in the world they really highlight the the points of um of, of breakdown, but not only toward chaos, but just toward opening, if you know what I mean. Um, so that we're, we're left, instead of inhabiting a world that feels known and knowable, um, we're really confronted, I think, um, with a world that is so much bigger than ourselves, so much more complicated and sophisticated and, um, and frankly, just unknown. Um, and I think that absent these moments, be they global or personal, um, we sometimes get very, very complacent. And so um, this isn't a moment of, of godliness in terms of, in my experience, it's not a, about a feeling of, of divine closeness and, and love per se, but it is a reminder of the sort of grandeur and mystery of the world in a way in which um, I and we are not gods, that there are we, there is so much that we do not understand and so much that we that is not under our power
0: oh, oh, amazing. so on this point I wonder how you think about um, from an ethical perspective progress you know I mean I was very I was very influenced by Tamar Ross's expanding the palace of Torah and that's on more of an ideological level you know reading Hegel and freedom but modern orthodoxy has most been guided of course by Rabbi Soloveitchik, who suggests that dignity is increased um, by gaining more control. We have more control, uh, mm-hmm. we have more dignity by being in control of our destiny. We don't just live by fate, but we're in control of our destiny. And then there's moments like this, where we're smacked down, that there's no room for arrogance. No one could have predicted this state of the world. And as you just said, we're in a state of humility and to some degree powerlessness. And I wonder um, what Soloveitchik would have said about you know, dignity in a moment like this and how he understood this trajectory. But I wonder how do you relate to, you know, on a theological or ethical level, the notion of, of progress and what moments like this politically and in terms of uh, public health mean, mean for such a notion.
1: Well, I really appreciate um, the word that you just used, which I don't think I used before, which is humility. And I think that's exactly what this does breed. And I think you're right that this is not a moment that speaks to celibate, majesty and human dignity um, and Adam one kind of, uh, you know, Takeover of technological world, etc. Um, we're not living in that mode. Um, you know, I could try to sort of justify it in cheeky in terms by going the atom two route, um, but I don't. I don't know that we have to go there. I don't think that this moment is one of um, bolstering our, you know, our power as human beings. I think it's really a reckoning with powerlessness. And I guess I would just have to hear part ways with that kind of ideology that sees um, human dignity and power um, as synonymous somehow. Because I think that what we're seeing is that awareness of powerlessness is really the starting point, I think, to, um, to a spiritual awakening, I hope, and maybe to some kind of healing in the world. But it is the reckoning with powerlessness that I think is actually where we need to start our conversations.
0: So, well said. So just one last question for you today. One of your writing projects right now, which I'm excited to, to read, um, Torah from the Plague. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what your vision What your vision is there?
1: Sure, so um, I'm very excited to say that I'm, I'm working with a whole bunch of really wonderful um, writers, academics, and rabbis um, who are really just reflecting on this moment from their particular vantage points. Um, and I think that's something that we can do now Again, Lahavdiel la Lahavdiel, drawing from the writings of Pia Zetzner. Now what we can do, and here you and I are doing this right now, we can speculate and offer whatever kind of insights we might have at the moment that we may or may not agree with tomorrow or in two years from now. Um, but there is a way in which we are also kind of testifying to the moment as we're doing that. So we're thinking about the moment, but we're also bearing witness yeah. to it. Um, and so what I wanted to do with this project um, is just actually take the temperature of where we are at. Yeah. what we're, what are people thinking in, in 2020 in the moment? Yeah. just like again, they'll, they'll, there was post holocaust theology and there will be reflections on this moment too, but there will be post facto and I'm interested in what how are we how are we as a community? how are we thinking about theology? How are we thinking about prayer? How are we thinking historically about how this is or is not like previous experiences? How are we thinking about ourselves as global citizens? I think as as Jews, we so often reflect in a very parochial way on our, um, you know, history of, of, uh, you know, various oppressions as Jews. But what does it mean to be global citizens and experience ourselves as in pain with the rest of the world in this era where we know about it, where we really know about it because of, you know, technology and media and all of that? Yeah. Um, You know,
0: I think there's so many different experiences right now. And one, um, I think actually many are feeling very powerful, which might be strange for some to hear because so many of us feel so powerless, but they feel like I'm beating the plague. Like I like if I can beat the plague, I can beat anything. And that experience right now of, of where there can be hubris, um, uh, you know, around um, one's, it, one's uh, indestructibility is so radically different from someone who's, God forbid, on a ventilator right now or their child's on a ventilator or, um, or they just lost half their family or the case. And so um, our experiences are so different the one who's worried about putting their children in, you know, into school in a few weeks, so different from someone who just lost the child. And so I wonder how we tap into the full experience right now and uh, empathically and intellectually. And I'm so glad you're doing this work. So, So Rabbi, thank
1: you for taking this time to talk. Thank you. Thank you for all the good work you do.